Welcome to Cummagers. I'm Brian Costello. I'm Jim DeSanto. I'm Katie. And tonight we're talking about a great movie. No? What are you doing? I don't know. I realized that I wanted to introduce a, a, a guest and then there wasn't anybody to introduce. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to stop talking. Why don't we do that again? Let's do that again. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So we're, we're actually going to make Jim have to edit this episode? No, or, he always, or, I always, he he always the starts front. the front. I always yeah. edit okay. the front. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, we haven't had to do this in like... Forever. I know. It's just I us. Know. Uh, okay, here we go. Hello and welcome to Comagers. I'm Brian Costello. I'm Jim DeSanto. I'm Katie. And today we're looking at the Hollywood classic, The Great Escape. But first, as always, we ask the most pressing question of every episode. What are we drinking this episode, what does everybody have in store for us tonight? Black walnut, old fashioned for me. Still going strong. You have mm -hmm. to. Have you had to order another round of bitters, Jim? Oh How yeah. Are we yeah. in the bitters department? Yeah, I ordered. I ordered two bottles from Amazon, and then they were going to take like four weeks. On, on a unbeknownst to me, because it was like one of those third party sellers mm -hmm. that I didn't. Yes. I wasn't paying attention. So then I ordered two more that were going to be quicker. And they all got here at the same time. They did no. Well, no, no. They got here. Yeah, we have enough. <laughs> Bottom line. As usual, Katie's drinking two beverages. Uh, both recommendations from com majors. First, guess what I found in the closet? It's a little baby bottle of moonshine. Mm -hmm. Now, where just that was just happened was, to be there. It was a prize at school. So okay. here's my moonshine in a mason jar. It's Love actually. It. It's actually quite delicious. I bet it tastes a lot better than what they so, were drinking out of there. Well, I would have, I would have yeah. hoped so. <laughs> the potato moonshine. I mean, it's not really moonshine. No, you can, literally cannot sell moonshine no, at a store. I understand that, that, but what I'm saying sense. is that the label says moonshine. Yeah, that, like that's does. what the, the just... label says. Um, and then, Com Major Meg Kinson recommended since this is an old-fashioned, an old-timey movie, we have an mm. old-fashioned drink, which I was very excited about. Love it. Great, great idea. I am drinking a uh, new Orthodox IPA series, mm. Boss Tweed, mm. double IPA. All right. Boss Tweed. Yes, of course. Uh, I thought it appropriate. A historic film. Mm -hmm. uh, we used a historic figure um, and it's quite delicious. I've never had this one before. Highly recommend. It's interesting, though. You know, it's like one of those really maybe two into the craft thing it has like uh don't get upset about sentiment at the bottom of the can and it has a logo about how you could mm. get rid of the sediment yeah, that's fine you know sediment lots of sand and sediment yeah. and dirt in this film i hate it not I not in so the sand dirt. of course oh, it gets everywhere so dirt. and then and then they just throw them back in the cooler i killed them yeah. the women and the covered, children too covered in dirt the, the the sand it, it bothered me greatly when I did some historical research and they said that it wasn't so much dirt in the real situation it was more like sand so uh, to be surrounded by sand as we know is my is I couldn't yeah. couldn't handle the sand you know that mm -hmm. I hate it uh, Katie it is time for the rundown. <laughs> World War II, and a group of Allied soldiers have been captured by the Germans. Their instructions are to use up as many resources as they can by attempting to escape as often as possible. They've racked up hundreds of attempts between them. In frustration, the Germans have created a new camp to hold them all, staffed by superior officers who are determined to stop this insanity and keep these soldiers behind the wire. The men work together to attempt the biggest escape yet. Get 250 men through an underground tunnel and out to safety. It's a story so unreal that it has to be true. Join the Cooler King, the Scrounger, the Tunnel King, and more of Hogan's Heroes for this campy war drama. <laughs> Ooh, I liked Hogan's Heroes. Mm -hmm, me too. <laughs> that was a, a good show. Okay. Um, Great Escape 1963. Uh, released on 4th of July, 1963, and was the largest uh, box office hit of that summer and launched the career of, of course, the amazing Steve McQueen, along mm. with other actors, James Garner, mm -hmm. James Coburn, uh, Charles Bronson, 
Charles Bronson, mm-hmm. who, by the way, had all been together in The Magnificent Seven. But ah. this took them to an even higher level. Uh, so let's grade a film that is beloved by generations of people. By the way, not our generation. No. You know, this is a film. This was a film not even of our childhood. No, and, no, but, but I watched it a for lot. Me, <laughs> it's interesting for me to place this in time that this film is 30 years after. We've been watching some older movies. 30 mm-hmm. years after Casablanca and Arsenic and Old Lace. 20 years. 20 years. I thought they were both 1930s. No. 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 40s. They're 40s. Oh. They're in the 40s. Okay. Yeah, but still uh, several decades. Yep. So, I mean, we are, you know, quite in, in quite a distance. Was this the away. color that gave it away? Um. Well, what's interesting is I think that it actually looks worse than the black and white movies. Yeah. The black it's and white color, age, right? it ages it, it's better. Fake color, I think. Well, I think it, the, the, the issue is this. I think it depends on. I don't think it is. I oh. think it depends where you watched it, by the yeah. way, in terms of it. Like mine, I was lucky enough. I got my Criterion Collection one, which is the. They uh, 4K digitally scan the negative. Yeah. But older films, I would agree if it's not a good print uh, and they put it on streaming c- looks worse than black and white. Yeah. Uh, the, we have the 4K, 4K version, but yeah, it I still could it, be. It, yeah. it could, I agree, though. I think it you're wasn't right. sharp. The, the picture had, you know. Yeah. Oh, that, that happens with the, that's weird. That does happen a lot with the streaming movies of the sixties when they went color because of how they were filming it. And there's just bad prints. Yeah. There, there's some also of like, out there. like frame rate. Weirdness issues. In this oh, yes. There's a really weird the, after the plane crash. There's a really weird bit. Yeah. They like speed the it up James or something. Gardner but reaction I, I, scene is, but again, super that strange. Might, I'm, I'm wondering if that's like that. It wasn't on my version, but I've, I have mm-hmm. a other version of it, an older uh, DVD version. And that was a problem. So I yeah. think Jim's right. Like, if you don't take the time to have it compressed and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff, then films yeah. like that are issue. Whereas the black and white films look, fan- they look like fantastic. Cas- Casablanca looks fantastic. Looks amazing. Yeah. And uh, that's sharp that's and an clear. And we stream. I mean, we've streamed all three, right? Like oh, that's, yes. that's no, how I, we watch. No, so. no, I agree. I think it's, it's definitely the element of when they were they doing the stuff. Like if you same thing, if you watch like Citizen Kane and stuff like that, when it was in black and white, it was just so well lit and they weren't using natural light at all. It was all mm. studio light where this is so much of this is natural light. I think you're right. It's has a saturated feel to it. Mm-hmm. Where are we grading this? Who would all like right. to start? I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Okay, go for it. I'm going to go for me. This is a B, mm-hmm. a solid B for me. Um, I love this movie as a kid. Um, I watched it a ton. I, the first half specific, well, not the first half, but like the, the first three quarters, uh, I love up until the escape. Um, and then I, I appreciate it more this time about, about what happens after the escape. Um, but yeah, I, I, there are definitely problems with this movie, but there are, there were some pretty high highs as well, I think. So I think in keeping with our grading of you being the toughest grader, um, yeah, I was going to give this a B plus, and that feels mm-hmm. like that that fits in with where we have graded previous films. I recognize that there, the the real story behind this film is incredible. The uh, you know seeing some of the the most famous actors. <laughs> of all time in, you know, in their youth in this movie is such a cool experience. Um, There's a great energy to the storytelling for the first two thirds of the movie. And my biggest problem is that the tone in this film is super weird. So we will talk about that later. Brian, what grade do you give it? I give it an A. I'm an A on it. Uh, Borderline, borderline A plus. Um, only because um, it's it's not as good as Casablanca. So I, I kind of had to figure out a scale, right? So if I'm going to give Casablanca an A+, plus, mm-hmm. it's difficult for me then to give something unless it's close to that range. The only reason I was borderline doing it is that it's almost, what are we, we're coming on like almost 60 years ago. 
And it is a film that still like resonates with people of all different generations. So that made me like hover a little bit at it that people still like there, there has to be something there that is drawing people of like gener- different generations to it. But as a film, if I just graded it as a film, I don't think it's an A plus. Cause I don't, I think there are, there are enough issues with it that it's not like a Casablanca or stuff like that. What I am impressed about, we could talk about is this is a movie that did clearly like Casablanca influence filmmakers who went and saw it. Yeah. And the- I, Oh, uh, we could talk definitely about that. I think the the idea of like this era of film. So you have like, um, you you have a lot of these World War Two movies popping up in the '60s. There are so many. Like this clearly inspires people like Quentin Tarantino to go and do things like Inglorious Bastards, and also Spielberg to do Saving Private Ryan and things like that. There are there are definite um, connections. Um, I, you know, there's something about this movie that I trying to put my finger on as far as like why it, it is a little strange. And I think it is because they, you know, this was basically a popcorn movie. Like this isn't a movie that tells a story of character. It just tells a, it tells the story of this like very Events. interesting event, right? It's not following any characters really. There's some character moments, but it's it, all of those character moments are, are just to give you insight to like what these men were sort of going through. It's not to follow that individual character's journey at all. No, it's, I think I would compare it also thinking about as you push further into the sixties and seventies, this was also a a run of where they would start to do like disaster films. Right. So you have like the Poseidon Poseidon adventure, Adventure. the towering inferno, which Steve McQueen was in, by the way, Um, which is the same movie as the Poseidon adventure, just exactly a a burning building instead of a sinking boat. I think this was a, a much better version than those films were, but it's definitely like the characters. It's not a, a vehicle for characters per se right. like it's this is you know whereas we get to like the late 70s and when I, I think of like when we talked about the conversation with gene hackman to me or taxi driver with scorsese when you get to the late 70s part of the late 70s is a pushback in some respect i against some of that stuff which is they're like event style films but i think your version of that this is a popcorn film is dead on like in terms of when you watch it because it's not a film that yeah. some of these world war ii films are that have to be so you know that you're so serious which is weird because that might be the expectation yeah and they're and they're trying respects. to they're trying to entertain because part of this is funny part of it is you know service to americans part of it is service to uh, the British and, you know, they're trying to capture a giant audience and kind of entertain them for three hours. Go ahead, Katie. I feel like I'm going to say a bunch of things that are going to make people upset. Just, yeah. I, I think that this, I think this film is American hubris. Uh, you, the, the the real story behind this is like most of these guys were not American. No, well, actually, there's, like barely any of them were American. Well, and, barely any of them in the movie are American. Yes, but so, but you you have this Steve McQueen character who kind of gets this spotlight as like throwing the middle finger at all these guys and having this cocky attitude. You know, the music of the film does give you the idea that like this is all going to work out. At the end, only three men survive the escape. There is a mass assassination of your escapees and they cut from that scene to the boo-doop yeah and here comes steve mcqueen with his with his ball and his mitt like let's try it again i really struggle with the way they tell this story well i think you're you're not catching on to the story that they're telling and that's part of the problem tell me they're not talk they're not they're not seeing this as a failure this isn't a failure. The whole point is set up from the beginning is that if they can escape and and call and basically create havoc behind enemy lines and 
and cause another front of the war to be fought on, then they've succeeded. And the story is not about whether they get free and get home to see people or rejoin the, the, the war effort on, in England or wherever. It's the story is, did they, did they cause enough problems and did they persevere? And the end of the movie is to say like, this is going to happen again. But they did have that conversation of discussing I, returning 100%, home. 100% no, they did. I just don't think that, you know, that conversation. Yeah, they have that, but it's not, that's not the overarching theme of this movie. Yeah, like Richard Attenborough. Do you, his you character I, knows I, 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 I that he's going to be. I don't think that in the conversations that they have about the escape, that they acknowledge the likelihood that they are going to die in this. And because I think there's a weird, and I think there's a, there is a weird scenario with the POW camp where they, there, there are, the, there are, there are these rules, right? Where like, they're not going to be, they're not going to be killed. Right. Well, like that there's, well, that's right. There's the a certain amount of leeway. And all the people who actually did the killing in real life were then executed. So I think that could be part of the reason they're not talking about dying because they were never killed. But that you're straying from your point. Like go back to your idea. Well, so to me then that notion, um, like in, in the conversations that they're having, yes, you know, from the very beginning, we see their commanding officer come in and, and say, these men have been given this instruction. Right. Absolutely. Um, to me then in their follow-up conversations and and also in the tone in which the story is told i don't know that you get the the sense of like their true fear that they will be killed i think that it's like yes it's it is they are taking a risk but over and over again they've been caught and returned caught and returned caught and returned right hide in the back of the truck caught and returned then I, I don't know. My my issue is just with the way that the the story is told in that piece where like there is a shift, right? Like the Gestapo becomes a part of the story. It is not just the German soldiers who are guarding them in the POW camp where you do get a different sense of I don't know what yeah, when what that Bartlett, scenario when Bartlett is. Bartlett comes back when he when he is which is literally the first 15 minutes, I think. When he enters the camp, you meet the Gestapo guys, and you clearly know that there's a difference between them and the the commander of the camp and the guards of the camp. Yeah. I, I just thought there was... I No, it's weird. To, I it, thought it, that the story up until the actual escape was done really well. And then I thought that the story following the escape got strange at points and, and you know like the, the steve mcqueen on the on the motorcycle scene is weird that there's like there are yeah. weird moments in the post tunnel third of that film where it feels overly drawn out like that the the movie should have ended with i don't know i don't know if it should have ended there but it just felt like it got out of control after that point and then the scene where the men are killed it it just seems like it's just kind of brushed past. Do you get the conversation with their com comrades, you know, of James Gardner realizing how many of them have died, who was on the list of the dead? Um, wait a and second. So you see wait, that wait, impact. Wait, wait, wait. They do not just... Br I can't... Did we watch the same film? Yes. After no, that, the, that moment, huge that there's, there's a scene where he, the commander goes in to talk to the commandant and he basically explains that 50, so like, okay. 50 of them have been shot. Not brushed over. 50 of them. The no, rest no. of the movie I, is about that moment. I agree. I'm saying literally the cut after that, after you see them take out the gun yeah, yeah. and mow down the soldiers. Like mm -hmm. that's the shot. You see the gun and you see it mow down a, a group of 50 soldiers. Mm -hmm. The music picks back up right after that. And it carries on like Hogan's Heroes, as though that I don't wasn't know if that doesn't it doesn't that's happen not how that it way. Goes. It goes to the office because McQueen doesn't come back until after 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I need to. Bosses. I need to rewatch that moment because yeah. that was a moment for me where I could. I couldn't believe the the shift. It just. It felt like I. I don't know. We'll watch it. We'll watch. We'll it. watch but it again. Maybe I. I, I agree that the tone, specifically the the score. Which is oh, the score? It's is only to one. It's only crazy. one song, and it's fifteen minutes long, and it's very it's like much you're in the tunnel. It's very much like a reworking of Yankee Doodle Dandy kind of. Um, oh, are we not going to like the score? I think we the do score not like the score. The no, great it's scores the same thing, but it doesn't over and over again. It doesn't help. It doesn't help the movie, except in a few a few places in the beginning and when they're like doing work to, um, because it's very much like a work song theme. Like a, it's almost like a, if you took like it's the seven dwarves, the seven it's, dwarves, and, and the, the yeah, yeah, oh my god, yeah, yeah. push back. Do, do, this do, is no, no, no. Do, do, the, this is do, considered by do, 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 many do, 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 wait, wait, amazing Brian, movie people as like one a, of the best it, jobs by a it's score to set tone. No, 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 absolutely I not. I disagree. disagree. This this song is an earworm and it's infectious and it's likable. And when they're actually doing the work of building a tunnel, it makes sense. After that moment, this score does nothing but distract from what they're trying to do, and and that's a problem. I have a problem with adopting the the beliefs of of the group. I'm sorry. I'm going to evaluate this as my experience with this film. I found the music to be repetitive and distracting, and <laughs> it took away from what the story was at times. That the the music is is the main problem with the tone in the in after the escape, it is. Yes, because I because it's very happy go lucky. I like agree. Work a day. Yes. Kind of thing, and we're into a moment that's more like the way they approached sad music was to just take that same melody and just slow it down and drop it down a few boom, notes. Boom, boom. Well, they boom, they move it to tubas, then they move boom, it to boom, they move it back. But I won't I won't say that it's a bad song because I, I think it's great. Like there are in in that in the beginning, I think that that piece is amazing. And as they figure as they start figuring out, it adds momentum to the movie in areas where they're figuring out how they can escape. Yeah. So we should talk about that because I think the reason this this movie resonates with people and is interesting, you know years and years and decades after it was released is not because of what happens after the escape. It's because of what happens before the escape. And it gives you sort of like an insight, you know, realistically or not into day to day living in a prisoner of war camp in Germany. Mm -hmm. And also this really cool kind of espionage idea of like how, they were going about getting things, how they were accomplishing what they were, what they needed to do. And that part of the movie is incredible. The editing of it is real. I mean, John Sturgis, who's the director, also did Magnificent Seven, which is why we get Bronson and Coburn, because McQueen and uh, James Gardner were actually both TV cowboys, very much like Rick Dalton. Yeah. Uh, which obviously, I mean, Rick Dalton is a wannabe Steve McQueen. I mean, you could see like the influence right, right. of it on Tarantino again with that awesome job that Tarantino does when he cuts Rick Dalton into the great escape oh, yeah, segment. Yeah. And, um, but, um, he was the director actually had been an editor prior. And one of the things I thought he does a good job of, and I was thinking when we did air force one actually, and Jim and I, like both of us, part of our issue, I thought was like the establishment of, the plane itself, like they didn't do a great job of making the plane a character and showing us the plane and everything. He does a great job in the cuts early in the film. Like when they're in, he's, he's showing you the camp, but introing one of the characters you need to know. And every scene yeah. like that part doesn't drag. Like it's interesting. Like some of the escape stuff drags like that part, like the first third was pretty tight in terms of, we're going to show you all the problems that the camp is going to have. And we're going to intro intro to you all the, the people you really need to know in an effective way, which sometimes films have problems with. I thought it was almost diehard, like in, in that respect, like how McTiernan does diehard, which is he's always showing you the Nakatomi building, but he's showing it through different characters. You're going to need to know for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Uh, so let's talk the cast because Katie brought this up. 
and how awesome it was to see all these people as young actors, because these I mm. feel like were a lot of actors that we watched growing up, but they were playing much older. Roles, I might right, go back and rewatch the notebook because I have well, a new appreciation yeah. for James. Well, Carter. time out. Yeah. So what I was thinking about the, that is that, you know, to think about you, you're hoping that Richard Attenborough and James Garner escape so that one can go on to open Jurassic Park <laughs> yes. and one can go on to die with his wife on the same day. <laughs> Though it's it's problematic when you think about James Gardner and Ryan Gosling being yeah, the same yeah, person. Yeah. Then it gets, then yeah. it gets mixed We up. have proof that he did not look like this during the war. And Could all be. they needed to do was take a scene from this film. They should have. They just taken a scene from this to be and the make war it the war scene. scene. Uh, yeah. so have it be the guy better. trying to climb the fence I, and everything would have made more sense. Make that Eric. I also thought it it was extremely interesting to see these actors like these young actors um like the difference this is like classical difference between american movie stars and british actors mm. and it's like plain as day in this movie right like you have james garner and and uh steve mcqueen and they carry a weight in a charisma and they are james garner and steve mcqueen and then you have amazing British actors like Richard Attenborough and that he's a, he is embodying the character. Yes. Well, and that was even like behind the scenes. Right. So like McQueen was a, a TV star, but was not a, like a movie star. This is the one that made him like Steve McQueen, the movie star. But he was almost not even in this movie because he had done Magnificent Seven. Sturgis said, like, we want you to come over. And the character was kind of small because Katie hits on this like. The Americans, like in the true history of it, played a, a much more minimal role. But, you know, one of the nice things I think about this movie is it's it's a true story. But they say these are composite characters, which gives them like freedom to say, all right, we can kind of do whatever we want with the characters and we're going to stay true to like the escape idea. Yeah. But like McQueen was there and they actually filmed the first six weeks and they showed it to him and he got up and left. He's like, I'm, I'm leaving Germany. I'm, I don't have any lines. I'm not doing anything. I'm not being showcased anyway. And all the English actors were like, oh, wait, you can do that. <laughs> we're used to just like showing up. They give us the script. We we do our role and we're like here. And James Gardner was like, yeah, there was a different vibe to the American actors versus like the European actors. Well, um, and that's why I was careful was not back. to say American actors. They're they're American movie stars, even though they weren't even if they weren't movie stars yet. But they had yeah the their their approach to, to acting is not acting. It is it, here, it here is, I am. Put me in here. The I am. I'm going to be me, and everyone's going to love it. And that's that goes on until today, right? Like there there oh, are we've talked yeah. about that, right? Uh -huh. I mean, yeah. we see movies where in modern times it's like you go to see that movie because yeah. you want to see Robert De Niro is just going to be Robert De Niro or Tom Cruise right Robert De Niro yeah. into a new story. Yeah. Yeah. Harrison like, Ford, or, yeah. Or all... Michael B. Jordan, we've talked about this. Yeah. Like we're going to want to see the new Michael B. Jordan movie because it's, it's Michael, Michael B. Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. Yep. Um who so we're talking about characters. My interest is this. Which like there was lots of pairings and groups and things. What like stood out to you? Because you do get character moments. I know we don't get a lot about the characters, but we tend to get like scenes between characters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My things. favorite is the dynamic between Danny and not Danny. I don't know the other guy's <laughs> name, um, though. A little bit overacted at times. I I really I thought that that was really interesting. I was drawn for. I, I think that Charles Bronson is a very interesting looking man. Yeah, yeah. He is. Oh, absolutely. But but I, I I didn't make the I didn't make the connection immediately when I saw him on stage. He's still very interesting or on screen. Um but I think your eye is drawn to he has a very commanding presence. Yeah. Like I mean, it's his face, like actually how his face looks, but also the emotion that he can but convey he, on his face. Like, and and he looks like he is iron. Yes, it's hard yes. to describe. Like he, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has a very strong presence of like personality. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, just in standing. So I just felt like I followed Danny from the very beginning. You know, this idea of like the tunnel digger, the seventeenth tunnel. Yeah. I really I liked him, and then seeing him really shut down at the end and and have that that dilemma. I, I found his to be the most compelling story again you don't get much about the characters but just in the way their mannerisms the bits that we get 
I really enjoyed him. Well, yeah. I th- I found him interesting, even in like Magnificent Seven. It, but that like Sturgis brings somebody like him because he looks so different. Like yeah. you were bringing up, we were talking about like what the Hollywood stars of like the 40s and 50s when we've looked at these movies. And there is like a, a different vibe in this film in terms of the type of people they're going to put in it. You know, you get uh, Charles Bronson has a very different look. Then you get um, his partner in the whole thing, the whole thing. We can't which remember actually, his name. Not Danny. <laughs> which was actually a British pop star. Oh, you know, you interesting. Get, you, get, you get McQueen, who has that classic look to him, pulling off the haircut better than Kevin Costner did mm-hmm. in The Bodyguard. Um, then you get James Garner, who has, again, that classic. But then you get like the lanky James Coburn. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. I liked him, know, too. But that's like a very too. different yeah. vibe. And then you get like the English actors. So oh, Donald like Pleasance. Do- Donald Pleasance, mm-hmm. who goes on to do amazing stuff. Um, so I do think Sturgis is interesting in terms of how we put the ensemble together and like the use of the ensemble in a way like, yes, Steve McQueen was pushed to the forefront because this was an American movie and they knew that and they were quite upfront about it. They're like, listen, we, we're, we're trying to make this as an American movie. We have to have a couple of Americans in this, even if that's slightly on historical but like the type of people they use on the ensemble made me think of like a Quentin Tarantino movie where yeah. he's at times willing to cast people. And I think mostly like in my mind of like Jackie Brown, like where he cast Robert Forrester and Pam Grier, like people who you wouldn't assume would be stars in a mainstream Hollywood movie. And right. They but still pull it off. But when they walk on camera, they sort of they embody the character in a way that they don't have to say much to like convey a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's probably important for a movie like this, because if you need it, if (laughs) with the amount of characters that you have, this would have been a six hour movie if you needed to develop them a lot. What's interesting is I was thinking about how for me, uh, Tinker Tailor soldier spy, all the white spy men kind of blended together. But I thought this movie with a whole bunch of white men in a POW camp, many of them dressed the same. They were all very distinct. Right. I, but, I felt like all of the folks were very but, distinct. But characters. I will say that is in direct contradiction to not contradiction, but maybe proportionally inverse to the weirdness in tone. Right. Because you need to give these characters a lot of leeway to play with tone in order to carve out their space quickly. Yeah. Right. Like, like James Coburn you you kind of get the idea that he's a goofball. Yeah. And even when he's trying to bring like a a, a steamer trunk, although a smaller steamer trunk mm-hmm. as his getaway <laughs> luggage. Yes. That he's weird, right? And that he will like grab a bike and maybe a baguette and be riding down the streets in, yeah, in France. Absolutely. Like that. And, and yeah. so when, by the time you get to that point of him putting it that on totally the bike, you're sense. like, oh, of course he's And similarly with Colin he always stands out from the rest as sort of like the intellectual, you know, like we see him. Well, that's doing, why he's like, what are you doing here? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But then, so then when we get to the bit where he's going blind and they're going to leave him behind, that all fits with his story because he all, he never thought he was going to be one of the group to begin with. Right. Right. He, there's always been a part of that character that's been waiting for like, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna do this without me. Right, and the same thing with um with Ives, like that character, um, Angus Lenny is the moment he's on screen, you're you're drawn to him because remind us who he is. He's the little guy that's with with, with uh, Steve McQueen, McQueen all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. the mole yep. they call him. Um, he from the moment you see him and they talk about his height, you're like this guy is vulnerable, right, and is. He seems, even prior to you knowing that he's a little bit loopy and and you know anxiety ridden from being in the in the prison camps for so long that you kind of you kind of are, when that happens you're like okay yeah that makes sense and it's probably because of how they cast him yeah yeah I thought that that interaction was great I do love the Colin Garner interactions yes you know that that balance of here you have somebody who's completely out of place with a guy who looks like an american movie star and they dress him that way right like carter's got like the he's wearing like the turtleneck you know it's so funny he's like all that stuff and then he's played off with this guy who's like they're like how the hell is this guy here like what is he i kept thinking of um 
if they were going to redo this movie, like that's Henry Cavill, like 100% oh, in the sweater. A thousand percent. That's like his. And like, what Walt movie Giamatti is he wearing is, that sweater? Uh, oh, God. He's wearing. Um, he's wearing. that Man from Uncle? Isn't maybe, it? yeah. He's wearing well, like the exact same That would have been set, been set during that time period. Yeah. Uh, I, for NCIS fans, David McCallum is in this, who plays Ducky on that. We know we have a lot of people. Number one show on TV somehow still. Uh, he is in it. I mean, oh, he cool, is. Uh, he's Malfoy. Malfoy. Yeah. He's uh, Ashley Pitt. Yeah. Ashley who, Pitt. Uh, who saves Bartlett at the train station from being discovered by uh, killing the Gestapo guy. There, there is some parts. I, I do agree. I feel like the escape part could have been cut tighter, but it, it's interesting in that it, it almost had like an episodic feel at points. Like there's these little stories, like maybe they followed too many people. And in parts, I think they're shot really well. I, and interestingly, I think that there's just so much of it. Well, there's too much can, of Steve McQueen riding on. around on a motorcycle which, doing nothing. Which, like, the interesting note is that that was his demand. Well, that, no, I mean, the demand <laughs> to, like, ride a motorcycle, whatever. That well, he could have still done that, though. Yeah, That's, but there's too many shots of him just, like, riding through countryside, like, looking where to go next. And it doesn't it doesn't add anything no, to it ends, the story. No, you still end up at the same place, which yeah. is all but three of them get caught. Right. And so you, as a director, have to make a decision on how much time do we spend just following them before they get caught? And I but would I, say too much time. Well, I think there's two things. I've always found it odd that people are as drawn to the bike sequence as possible. Mm -hmm. And I, and may, maybe it's like the Tom Cruise effect from the modern Mission Impossible movies that McQueen was doing the stuff and you could see that it was McQueen and that was very different. If you think back to like when we were watching even um, Rad, well, well, where it was a man Rad. instead of Lori Loughlin. Yeah. I, I love those I mean, that was scenes. pretty bad. Um, a man with thinking, a wig and I would, a very I would watch scenes. Steve McQueen do a dance scene on a on a BMX. What is that? Um, on a motorcross motorcycle. <laughs> bike dancing. Ass I, no, I, I want to see I'm him thinking, do a bike dance. But I'm thinking about like something like, <laughs> let's say North by Northwest, for example where there was sequences that were clearly fake, right? Yeah, yeah, fake yeah. backgrounds and everything. So maybe like for us, that bike sequence to me has always been like, I'm like, whatever. The same thing with the plane crash with James Garner. Like those were things that were completely made up to add a little spice to it. The things that are more interesting to me is like the Bartlett uh, is running through the town, being chased at the train, the way they were shooting that. That's like some good suspense to it that I think they could have pulled off. And I love the James Coburn stuff. Like yeah. he's riding the bike and then the French resistance is there, but they went, I, th I think they did go slightly long with that. And part of me wonders is this. And if you look at the early sixties, the stuff where going to the movies was considered a huge event that they start to go like, this is the time period of Charlton Heston and the 10 yeah. commandments where they're ben making Hur. these huge movies with intermissions. And the expectation is if, you're going to a theater. It's going to be what you're doing. There's not a lot of TV shows. There's not a lot of things. So they put more up there and it, it, it does feel slightly long. I love it. So I don't mind it as much. I think maybe after multiple viewings, like which I've done with it, you, you start to find like interesting things in sequences, but it's long compared to a modern viewing, I think for this type of movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like, and if, though I, should, I say that, but like if you watch these big tentpole like Marvel and thing movies, they get to this. But for a movie like this, you know, pushing close to three hours is a long view. I think it's a really cool story. I think that it's neat to see these guys as young actors. And I think that the story deserves to be retold in a more accurate way. I, I would. I, and this is something, even though this is considered a classic, I was telling Katie, like, I would not be precious about this being remade. Like I, there are films, I think where you go, that movie is so good that you can't remake it. And e well, yeah, I, Raiders I, of the Lost Ark. Yes, right? like those, Alien. It's like no Ferris purpose. Fer Ferris, yeah, no, no, you would not. It's yes. true. Why yes. would you remake that? Absolutely. And, and in that case, it's more like he embodied the character so much that you you don't want to see anyone else in that character. But this movie is an ensemble cast. They're all really surface level characters. None of the none of the actors are so ingrained with those characters that we would not 
be able to look at someone else in the role, but it's an amazing story, right? And and I'm not saying we need like the Christopher Nolan version of this where it's like really dark and gritty Batman, but I do think to bring it closer to reality. Well, and so that's to me that that's what we've seen develop in the past few decades in a different and I'm going to say better way. Um, the ability to walk that line between the day-to-day, you know, development of relationship and lighthearted moments and also holding space for the heavy, you know, uh, you know, we, we just watched Jojo rabbit recently which I think you could look at as an example of that. Where well, that's more satire. It is so that's satire. Tough. That's true. That's true. But but still, we have... I'm sure we can think of other examples of films where you still get the sense of the the lightness of the day-to-day in comparison to the... Oh, sure, sure. The emotional heaviness of the reality of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about how this is an interesting... Uh, Hogan's Heroes was made in the same time period. It's also 1960s. Uh, yeah, a little bit later. I mean, as and, a, you know, as a result of the popularity of this in many respects. Right, I'm sure. It, it's interesting to just think about, you know, J- Jim asked last night, it, was it a coping mechanism for like post-war, you know, as this generation Yeah, because a lot back, of the movies like, are... Because it is, this well, is dark people, stuff and it's lot, not handled that way. Yeah, but I don't mind that. And this is what I'll say. I, I do get it. I, I I slightly disagree in the sense that I don't want a more realistic account of this because I think I've seen documentaries on that. And I think that's where it goes. The one thing I'll like push back slightly on is I like that. Whereas we look at like Judas and the Black Messiah. Like I have an expectation that they say very faithful to that because they're saying this is Fred Hampton. These are real people. I don't want them going on like a crazy tangent off like they did with this movie. I think there's a place for this movie in the sense that there is serious material on World War II. And the tone I have less of an issue with because I think it was the tone they want it to be. And I know we've disagreed. Jim and I disagree with this on these sometimes like to me, sometimes if you hit the tone, that's your expectation. I'm, I can kind of roll with that, even if it feels different. Cause I understand there's other movies that are serious. I'm not going to put this in the category of a saving private Ryan, you know, which was a serious world war two movie or a I just really struggle with that, right? Like from an American, I, I just think for American filmmakers to take this story where, 50 folks who were not American ended up getting gunned down as POWs. But I, I think who, that's weird for us to say, like, the, well, let's tell that with a lighthearted yeah, but tone. I think, but I think the point of it was, was like the point of even the, the people who were in the camp would say was their vision of what happened to those people, I think, in some respects is different from you. They saw those people dying as part of, like Jim was saying, as a service to what they were doing. They died doing their duty. And, you know, they were appalled that they were killed. But it was also this idea that they were trying to get through. And I think that's what McQueen's doing at the end. And they focus on it because it's McQueen. But it's this and and the use of the music even at the end is this resilience that they're going to continue on this path. Like, whereas we see this as a tragedy and they know it's a tragedy. These are people who have fought in World War II and saw a tragedy every day. And they're just going to keep. And that's the repetition of the ball hitting the wall. We're going to be back and we're going to be back and we're going to be back. Right. And you could see that in that last scene. It to kind of put a put a a cap on that conversation is even the German officer who's putting him in there. You can see the kind of the the injury to his mental health based on McQueen bouncing that ball. Like yeah, he it, he pauses for a moment is like oh my god this guy is doing this again like there's something not right here. And I and I do think that's there is a piece of that that is a little bit cathartic in a way that's like they never gave up. They never stopped. They did what they did and they did it when they failed. They did it again and again and again. And I, that piece doesn't bother me as much as 
I I'm I'm with you on that. I I that doesn't bother me either. No, but like the tone the tone of that piece being at the end coming back to the music, that's not where it the tone bothers me because I, I agree. Yeah, okay. I think this is listen, he had problems getting this movie made, Sturgis. So I I think that the the tone of it was is it maybe is subjective to like you as an individual viewer because even studios were saying like how are we going to make a movie where these people die at the end three people get away like you know do you only do that as like this film which is a tragedy and they chose not to do that which is obviously very different i part of me does always question like what's the most enduring aspect of this movie though because it is one of these movies, like when we posted that we're doing it, you know, some weeks, you know, you get one or two people that comment about it. This one was like one of those ones we've done them before as well, where it's like instantaneously we post the poster or say we're doing it and a lot of people like it or comment on it. I usually gauge by how many people comment on what drink Katie mm. should make because they have like. So what, here's what my here's it? my takeaway. People love seeing other folks stick it to the man, whoever the man is. And they it's love the Nazis a story. In this case, right? well, absolutely, that's yeah. not but it's, just what this is about. Well, though. but it's that's it's really, watching. That's really limiting the scope of this movie. Okay, because I think the idea of like planning the escape and doing all those little things and showing ingeniously how. But I. But he, okay, I don't think that that's in contrast to what I'm saying. I think that's an extension of. No, you're limiting it to saying like I people want to see people stick it to the man. That's yeah. why they like. Well, this but movie. and this, and I'm but, saying there's more reasons to like. This okay, movie. they do it in a very intelligent, yes, like <laughs> meticulous way. Absolutely. So it's you think that it's no, the I, level of of. I'm saying seeing all those, seeing all the different ways, and all the little things that they needed to overcome, and. And kind of like the interesting ways that they solve problems mm -hmm. is part of it. Okay. I agree yeah. with that. It's not just that they want to see someone stick it to the man because, again, in the end, they don't stick it to the man. That's like, very that's, true, Jim. Yes. Yeah. They die. Yeah. I know. Uh, I... Like I'm intrigued. Like I feel like the more I view it, because this was this is interesting. Sometimes I feel like we do these films, and it's like the nostalgia factor. You know, to me, this isn't really that because I don't have this nostalgic feeling of seeing this movie, or this is not like one of those movies of the '80s or '90s we watched growing up. But there's something. It's I don't know if it's almost comforting or something. Like I feel like you can just put it on. And you can be drawn into it. Like it, it's, it is a, like right. Jim, it has a little back, bit. It's a popcorn movie. And in an era, like it has a Shawshankness to it. It's that's a, great which is another parallel, movie that actually. struggles with tone. If I, if I'm thinking about it off the top of my head and if you, if we were to rewatch, I'd probably have similar problems with tone. I would love to hear from the commenters. This, this is one where I, I really would love some feedback um, wh what is it? What is it? What is it about this movie that works? Why is it a timeless classic? I That's do. What I want to know that a team that a team piece of it is is what is what draws me to it. Is that first first half of this movie where it's like a team of people that and it's the same as like Mission Impossible when leading up to the Knocklist heist. Yeah. It's it's that piece of it where they're planning it out and they're doing that is to me that draws me in every time. Yeah, yeah and I I I just I again watching it again I'm in I'm intrigued by it from a, a movie making perspective in some respects as well, which is like the geeky nerdy thing. But this is a time period where they just first started using widescreen and it was kind of a gimmick you know, widescreen photography and stuff in movie theaters, everything. Like if you think of Casablanca, it was all shot vertically. Same thing with Arsenic and Old Lace. And Sturgis is one of the first people that actually used composition in ways that wasn't just gimmicky. Because it's, it's, I will say this about the, the McQueen stuff, the, the motorcycle stuff interested me much less than a lot of things, but there is some beautiful stuff of germany when he's oh, driving absolutely. around absolutely like, the like scenery that, like, in those shots is great i like won't the, the yeah. composition of it is fantastic and they tried sure. to shoot it in north hollywood until they realized that wasn't possible <laughs> and then they moved to germany 
to shoot it. Thank God, because I'm not sure North Hollywood would have pulled it off. By the way, ridiculous as much as the the American stuff like the Garner and, and McQueen stuff was bumped up a little bit. Um, the camp itself was actually their technical advisor was the guy um, who was uh, the character of Danny's friend was based on the, t- the second tunnel digger. Mm. And that camp was built like the portions they used to scale. So that that's like the kind of stuff that I, I kind of like and the stuff with the dropping of the dirt and all that. That stuff was all real. And then they just kind of did what they wanted to do with characters. So I, I do like have like that. I do have a lighthearted criticism more. And, and I, w- I want to say like if, if you're Germany and you're putting all your bad eggs in one basket, as they said, yes. so they keep an eye on them. How come at night you just don't have one guard outside of every little thing? How about you? Why do you like, not have I, a guard living I, yeah, in I, the door? There's so much about this that, that doesn't make sense but from the German real. side. I, yeah. I believe it's real. Yeah, It's just like we want to make sure they don't. How can we stop them? How can we stop them? Um, maybe turn off the lights at night and yes. and go to and maybe just keep, actually check the. Yeah. Go talk to some teachers. Bumps. It makes yeah, no sense. That piece of it makes no sense to me. No, but, but that, or like why don't they have lights on? Was, lights on all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, that was the 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 real component. That's funny. Like the stuff that is should be the most unbelievable. And Katie, you said it in the rundown, like the most unbelievable aspects of it are the stuff that's actually real. Yep. And that's, you know, and I think that's what bothers about me it. about the stuff that got added. That was not real where it's oh, like, movie, na- yeah. there's, there is plenty of drama in the real story. Like the real story is incredible. You don't need to add the extra stuff at the end. Anyway, um, I do want to highlight one more scene that I thought was in- incredibly done. Uh, the scenes in the tunnel. Oh, yeah. When you, when you think about what that like had to have been in terms of filming and how, how they make it feel, um, specifically when you're following Danny, when he's like freaking out inside of the tunnel, I thought the emotional impact of those scenes was so real like i mean watching you know the sweat on him and just the way that his body is tense and kind of moving through that tight space together um i thought that was really well done yeah and i i I, can i just second that is the idea that showing soldiers who have trauma at that time in history well was not something that was i totally agree something that would be show ives the same way i mean this movie should be redone ives basically commits suicide Yes, is yeah. what he does. This like, the is idea a heavy is... movie. It shouldn't have had such a light touch. Oh, I, uh, I still. It's there's a lot going on. Though that's true. Um, all right. So, question. I think we know this. Uh, first of all, King of the Hill, bottom of the barrel. Would you, as we've said, this is not like the greatest. But would you choose to watch this over Judas and the Black Messiah, or do you think Oof. this is worse than Rad? This this is in the middle for me. Yeah, I, it's I in the still middle. think Judas and the Black Messiah is better than The Great Escape. I would agree. I uh, I do think that Rad had a better tone. The, <laughs> the music, the music, consistent. The music consistent was, was better. Was the tone was the, the music. The incredible. The, the tone. The tone. The music was good in Rad. The tone was it. distracting from the first second to the last, and then I realized exactly that that was what the it intent. intended. Yeah. Could, could we? Could we cut Steve McQueen into Rad? Just cut him right in. Just cut him sequences in. I, it was a popcorn movie. I've been holding on to that for, for so masses. long. I have been waiting for that since last night. I had thought oh, of that and I was going to say that. As I soon as Katie brought up the tone thing. Until now. Yeah. Um, I would watch this over Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, though I love Judas and Black Messiah, which was yeah, it's um, funny. correctly, which was correctly, by the way, nominated for Best Picture this past yep. week, which we thought it would be. But it was, in fact, it's funny. I w- with this question, and I think it's really interesting that we're doing this every week because it makes me evaluate each movie kind of in and of itself and then compare what I evaluated it to something else. And it's not necessary that I would rather watch Judas and the Black Messiah. It's 
that I think Judas and the Black Messiah, what I thought of it is higher than yes. what so I thought. That's fine. Uh, yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. You know, so as, like, as like, a literature major and teacher, I come across this very often in my career of having to evaluate a classic, right? And encounter a classic in current time and say, okay, so what's, what is its place? You can put it in history and understand here's why it was what it was in history. Yep. Here's why for some people this is still impactful. And also here's why in current day it doesn't hold up like it used to. But he, not even that. Like if I compared The Great Escape to Saving Private Ryan, I'd rather watch The Great Escape. But I think maybe at this point, I think Saving Private Ryan's a better movie. I agree. Because well, it's part hard about, to put yourself through right. that emotional right. experience. No, right. So right. Saving Private fair. Ryan right. to, like, does Schindler, it justice. Yes. Yeah, right? I think those so, are rare films. And so when you say, like, what would you rather watch? Like, And that's where I struggle with this movie. Because it, to me, does feel like it makes light of it's something popcorn. that was a very... Like, uh, a fatal situation for a large number of soldiers who did not come back home to their families. It feels like saying like, well, it's a popcorn movie doesn't do service to, to what their sacrifice was. My judgment of this is, do I think in 60 years, as many people will be as watching Judas and the black Messiah as 60 years later, people are watching the great escape. I hope so. And to me, I the answer is I don't think they will. I mm. think there's that's something fair, that but like resonates. That, but that's a weird criteria. I don't know, but that's not the only criteria. I but guess I'm just that's thinking, a like, that depends on who our society is in 60 years. Yeah, but listen, I love Judas and the Black Messiah, but I also think that's a movie that you watch once or twice. I don't know. If I also don't think people are watching this movie. If we're being honest, I think that the demographic for the folks that are right watching the great escape is very narrow. Yes. And probably not the same people that are watching Judas and the black Messiah. Well, so, we're watching both. So we're I, breaking well, but the you trend. have to be honest about that, Bri, right? When you're talking about like critical perception and mass perception, you know, oh, well, no, like there's folks have to actually it. see the film to be able to evaluate and compare. So, well, you know, if other people aren't watching, right. both, and one of them, one of them is going to be challenging to what their preconceived yep. notions of what yep. they've experienced yes. are, and well, the other one's going to buy not. right into what <laughs> yeah. they want to feel about their right. country right. and who we are as a society. So, I I don't know if that's an easy way to hold hold up film. Well, it's not the only way I hold it up, but of I would course. just say that I would watch it that way. All right, time for five questions. Here we go. You want answers? You want answers? I want the truth. What makes a man, Mr. Lebowski? What the fuck is the internet? What? Why? All right, five questions. Jim is asking. I will be answering. Here we go. Number one, thumbs up or thumbs down on making your own alcohol. I have made my own beer and it was disgusting and oh. I've never tried it again. I had bad memories for Katie. Never, tr never tried it again. Uh, we did have somebody's homemade whiskey once. Though. That's disgusting. It was also and disgusting, it, it, and he yeah. died in green. Actually, because oh, St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Gavin made what is called White Dog, which is basically bourbon that's not aged. Made corn whiskey that was not aged and mm. dyed it green for St. Patrick's. The only acceptable version of like make your own alcohol that I've had yes. is Coquito. Oh no. Oh, I love Coquito. Well, but it's, you're, yes, no, you're starting with alcohol that, that's yeah, been made by professionals. Yeah. I don't, here's the thing. Kevin, Kevin, Sam, Kenzie. Oh, Costello that's true. Makes, makes really incredible. Good. Yeah. Very good. Some people can, I think it had, it can't, be it has to be a serious hobby if you're gonna yeah do it. Yes. like we know people who make their own beer and stuff but they take it legit like they'll it's, do it yeah. it can't be like hey i'm gonna make my own booze right now for this these three people that's a thumbs down yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now now i'll say this if you do make your own beer and it's good feel free to send it to us and yeah. i will drink it to be very to be very it better have clear. a cool label like a unicorn fighting a ninja or something yes. oh, that still might be the best one we have <laughs> Uh, number two, would you rather question, would you rather go through a very tight tunnel or climb a barbed wire fence? Yeah, I am not claustrophobic, oh. so I will take the tight tunnel. 
barb that sequence the thing that the, there's two barbed wire sequences oh, in this movie that are mm, i will do the barbed wire over the tight tunnel really yep see i, I would not i want will go heights. slow i don't like I will heights. Go slow. yeah but no do not well, I, now we skip over the barbed wire and they go right to that razor I, wire stuff and that you maybe, can't maybe that's can't. why the danny scene got me so much because i was like yeah in it, caves i no, can't I do caves can, I, I can't do tight spaces. No. No, I don't mind. By the way, just as an aside, the barbed wire that Steve McQueen goes into was rubber, oh. and they actually made the actors on set make it in their off time because <laughs> they needed to make so much of it for that sequence. Hmm. Jesus. Okay, number three. Uh, fill in the blank. Your prison nickname would be blank. Would not be in prison. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have to come I, up not with here. it. We have to I, come up with it. Not here would be his nickname. Not here. Not, not here. I would sell somebody out. I would snitch. I would do no touching. Anything. <laughs> That's anything. What did the guy on the train call him? Call who? Brian. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't I remember. Would, I would not be in prison. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we have to I give would, you'd be the professor. You have to be, be who's he gonna be? We coach. gotta give you a name. Coach. coach. I would be in witness you, protection. Coach. No, you got you gotta have a name. You witness gotta have a name. Protection. Okay. <laughs> Number four, your our favorite question. What is your favorite World War II movie? Ooh. I'm gonna go. So many good ones. Memphis Bell. I love I remember Memphis that Bell. Memphis and Bell. that's a weird tone that well. is a weird tone but as it's well. great uh i i think i'm gonna go with thin red line terrence malick's thin red line. i've seen that one time and i was not in the mood to see it you have to be in the mood to see yes. it but it's pretty amazing yeah and there is actually an extended cut of it which is even better than the film version all right um okay number five our deep thoughts question have you ever been close to a panic attack like danny every time i have to walk on a beach <laughs> I, I knew you would have a good answer. I thought you were going to oh, go man. with the time someone tried to throw a TV at me. Seeing uh, Steve McQueen put into the cooler covered in dirt and then thinking about him sitting with the dirt on him uh, for the yeah. next two weeks Ooh. or whatever. No. Uh, no. Say it. Can't. No. no. <laughs> How about no, Scott? <laughs> That's my... Uh, Lasso. My Ted Lasso, Roy. Uh, oh, Ted Lasso, Roy, so uh, Osborne. What's his real name? Brett Osborne. Brett. Brett. No. No. Oh, he's so good. Look well, that up. takes oh, us into my recommendation. recommendation. He is my How recommendation. How about you recommend Ted Lasso uh, again? Well, right? Ted Lasso. Please now. It, so they've now they're winning awards. I've seen other people starting to catch on now, and lots of people yep. posting like Ted Lasso is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yep. It's um, so true. It is. It is. Oh I would. I put it right up there with Shit's Creek. Like it is that good. Yep. yep. Um, we can't have another podcast. No, so. we can't. <laughs> so just keep we're gonna have that to cut one. To keep that to yourself. <laughs> well, so then my recommendation, which now I can't find right now, it's it's a podcast called um, Movies to Be Buried With. Yeah, with Brett Ooh, Goldstein. Film, maybe it's films. Goldstein. Thank you, Brett Goldstein. Who, now, what is that? He oh, plays he plays Roy Kent in in Ted Lasso, who is the what seems to be like the Wayne Rooney character. Actually, actually it's he's like an older. He's apparently based on a real soccer player. I wonder football, if that's who it football is. Player. No, it's, it's his name is similar. So they were talking about it on one of the episodes. Oh, so he's, his name is Roy Kent in Ted Lasso, the character. And he's like the, the grizzled veteran on Roy Keane. Roy yes, Keane. yes, yeah. yes, yes. Who I wear his jersey all the time. Brian, My favorite have, you've got to watch this show. Yeah. So, all-time soccer player. Films Roy to Keen. be buried with uh, Brett Goldstein, who is a British actor and comedian, um, interviews folks about basically all the movies that you know make their life. So, well, he yeah, has like first, a, a series of questions. Yeah, like right? first film you ever saw. You first know, if one you, made you cry. Yep, right. If you could only take one film with you to the afterlife, um, it, and it's fantastic. He's got. Yeah. All Love kinds it. of folks on there. We were just them. listening to Pat Oswalt the other day. It's a, so it's a great podcast. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, my recommendation is Bad Day at Blackrock, uh, another John Sturgis film with Spencer Tracy, which is amazing. If you have never seen it, give us uh, a little I, quick primer. So it's a uh, a, ma- a one armed man has a fake arm arrives. He has one in- arm. Yeah, one arm. He's got one arm before the fugitive. Yeah. Uh, he arrives in this Western town 
to find somebody who had been uh, found out about somebody who'd been killed. And you find out this whole town is corrupt and it's uh, it's amazing. I don't want to give much away because it's one of those movies. The less, you know, going into it, the better it is. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. if you've never seen it, my recommendation is devs on Hulu, which I've been Ooh. watching. It's uh, Alex Garland, who I'm kind of obsessed with. I will watch everything he does uh, from now on. And it is also really cool to see Nick Offerman sort of play like a, like a, a jerk. He's not really a jerk. He's more like an aloof tech guru genius. Um, who doesn't even realize he's being a jerk or, or can rationalize being a jerk. And Allison pill from the newsroom is also in it. And ah, she's excellent. Very cool. All right. Well, we love it. Um, so let us know what you think about the great escape. I do highly recommend you buy the criterion version. It's fantastic. Mm. Has lots of great stuff in it. And, you know, let us know and we will be back next time with lots of, Hot takes where Katie ruins films. Yeah, that that's what I'm here for, friends. I'm here to take your favorite movies and tell you that you're wrong about them. Yeah. Um, while you drink moonshine. <laughs> I'm kidding. What is the next movie that we're watching together? Uh, we are going to be celebrating the beginning of baseball season. And we are watching the Disney film, The Rookie. Oh, uh, my. Selected by one Mr. Chris Speaking Monero. of bad movies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think I've seen this once and I didn't hate it. So, all right, we shall see. It's, it's a right. cute kid, isn't it? It's a cute no, that you're thinking that's not... of rookie of the year. Oh yeah, yeah. this is uh, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Listen, I just want to say I'm not before, into the blondes. I don't like them. Before we record blonde. this episode on the rookie, Jesus I gave Chris Monero <laughs> the option to pick any, any movie. baseball movie. Any baseball oh, you did movie. say baseball. It had to be a baseball. Oh. Any baseball and we've movie. already done a League of Their Own, which is clearly the best dreams. ever made. And, we did and Field, of, Field dreams. of Dreams. Well, I, I we still haven't done a, the best baseball movie. Um, Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Oh, I wasn't going. What were you going to say? Were you going to say Little Big League? Sandlot. <laughs> no. Sandlot? No. <laughs> what? Major League. <laughs> Major League. I watched it recently. Very good, actually. I loved Major League. <laughs> yeah. Jake Taylor is right up your alley as far yep. as like... <laughs> right, right there. Now Katie and I make so much yep. more sense. A lot more sense. I was basically Jake Taylor. A lot more sense I'm now. way into him. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll see everybody next time. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody. Bye. You're into the uh, Tom Berenger? Yeah.